course, uh, I know many of you are parents and you either have kids in the home or you did have kids in the home and, and you understand this idea that raising kids is more, of, more than just uh, m- helping them to survive their childhood, right? <laughs> Some days it feels like it's an accomplishment that they're still alive, uh, but uh, for the most part, the, the goal of, of raising kids is to prepare them for life. Right, and I, and I hope it, it, for you it would include raising them up in church and teaching them who God is and how much he loves them and uh, how to love God back and how to serve him. Uh, but uh, also, you want your children to be able to move out of the home, contribute to society, uh, maybe have a family of their own to provide for their family. You want them to be, to the best of your ability, that you want them to be prepared for when they leave the house. And so, uh, similarly, when we gather here on Sunday morning, um, believe it or not, uh, as, as a church leadership, our goal is not just to make you happy this morning. We hope that you come and enjoy your time here and are encouraged and maybe encourage someone. Uh, but more than that, we want to prepare you for what God has for the future, whether that be this afternoon or tomorrow or the weeks and days to come. And so um, this is found in our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter four. Uh, If you wanna turn in your Bibles, we will be there again this morning. And we'll see that one of the reasons for the church is to prepare God's people to do God's work. And, 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 uh, and we're going to read this passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, and we're going to see what it says about being prepared to do God's work. So Ephesians 4, verse 11, um, it says, and speak, this is speaking of Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the, wind, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this portion that we will look at this morning, uh, talking about uh, building up the body of Christ, talking about uh, speaking the truth in love, talking about um, uh, preparing us, your people, uh, to do your work and help us to understand uh, what it means, help us to understand how it involves us, help us to understand how we can apply it to our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So if we have, I don't know if we have any English teachers uh, in the group this morning, you notice that that was two long sentences that I just read. If you were reading in the Greek, it would have been one long sentence. And uh, if you were an English teacher or are an English teacher, you'd probably be telling your students, you need to break that up into smaller pieces. It's a, we'd call it a run-on sentence. Uh, but uh, God, in his divine wisdom, 
gave these words to Paul to put in our scripture for us. And, and in Greek, maybe it works well, but we got to break this down a little bit. Uh, it is a long sentence and we got to break it down. And so um, we're going to try to do that this morning. So um, some of these verses we've read the last three weeks because we've been in this passage talking about the unity that we have in the body of Christ, also talking about the diversity that we have in the body of Christ. And now this morning, what, why are we united? Why are we diverse? And it is uh, seen here in uh, verse 11. He says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, and so we, I want to look at a couple words here in this sentence. The first one being this word equip. And uh, it's, the only, it's the only time this word is found in the New Testament. Uh, some of your translations might say for the perfecting of the saints. This, uh, many, probably most translations today say for the equipping of the saints. And they are both uh, good translations. So it means, this word means perfection or completion. Um, it means that, uh, that the saints, that's, that's us, and we'll, we're going to define the word saint in a minute, um, but that the, the saints are perfected, they are completed, they are ready to go. And so the responsibility of seeing the saints perfected, completed, ready to go, uh, lies with our church leaders, uh, it spells out here as uh, shepherds and teachers, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. So you might say, well, the idea of being equipped and the idea of being perfected seem like two different things. Um, and yet, um, in, in this verse, it says that, um, it, like I said, I think they're both good translations. So when we talk about uh, spiritual growth or the, the scripture talks about the growth of a believer, um, we talk about uh, becoming more and more like Jesus. The, the term there would be sanctification. Um, and so that we, when we look at the scripture, we're taught that our sanctification or our becoming more and more like Jesus doesn't finish until we actually pass from this earth and we enter into his presence and we are, receive a glorified body and then we will be like him. But during our time here on earth, we are not quite like him. We have this issue of sin, but we are becoming more and more like him. So though we read this verse and it says that we are being perfected, for the work of ministry. And so it makes me think of um, when we at home sometimes we make strombolis. And uh, probably motivated from uh, going to Sicily's and, and eating their delicious, I don't know if you had a stromboli at Sicily's, delicious. Um, but when you're making a stromboli, you want to, first you, you know, you, all the prep work, the dough, and you fill it and you stuff it, and you put it into the oven, and it's gotta come out of the oven just at the right time right? Anybody like bake or cook or like timing is, is important. So you want the contents of the stromboli to be steaming hot. You want the cheese to be melted. You want the crust to be crisp, but not burnt, right? These are my criteria for the perfect stromboli. So when the, when you pull it out, not too soon or the bottom you know, is soft, too late and the top is burnt, but you pull it out at the right time and you would, I would say, this is baked to perfection. Does that mean it is a perfect stromboli? No, I mean, the, the, it, the Italians would probably cringe to see what I've pulled out of the oven and called a stromboli. 
but I would say it has been baked to perfection. Contents are steaming, the cheese is melted, the crust is crisp but not burnt, right? So we, use, we have this idea of perfection as being ready. Like it's ready to go, ready just to bite in and to eat that. So when we see in this, in this verse here that the saints are being perfected, maybe in, in your translation, or equipped for the work of the ministry, it means not that you are perfect, you have attained to this, the stature of Jesus. No, you haven't made it there yet. We're working on that. We will get there. But you are ready for the work of ministry. This is the part of the role of our church leaders is to prepare the saints uh, or to equip the saints for the work ministry. So let's make sure we understand what the Bible means when it refers to a saint. Uh, so here's a, a definition that I found of a saint. A person who is recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. A holy person who is known for his or her heroic sanctity and who is thought of to be in heaven. Uh, many churches would be named after these so-called saints. Is that what the scripture is referring to? Not exactly. So uh, this, word, this word saint is used in the New Testament over 200 times in maybe, usually find it three different ways. So one, let's just get a definition. It means to be holy to be set apart, to be consecrated or devoted to God. Uh, it would indicate that you are sharing God's purity and rejecting um, the, the, the defilement, you could say, from, from the earth. So uh, this is the idea of being holy. So it would be used combined with the word spirit, and we get our Holy Spirit to describe the third person of the Trinity. That's one of the main uses in the New Testament. Uh, another use in the New Testament would be to describe how we should live. We should live our lives in a holy way, a set-apart way, devoted to God, consecrated to God. So 1 Peter 1.16 says, uh, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You should be set apart, you should be consecrated, you should uh, be different from the sinful world because that is what God is like. He is, he is perfect, he is holy, he is set apart. And then the third way, the third uh, most common way that uh, we would see it in the New Testament is as it is here in this verse, it is used as a noun to describe a person as a holy one or a set apart one. In other words, someone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is their savior, confessed their sins, the Holy Spirit comes into the life and this person is now a, we would call him a Christian, who is set apart, who is holy for God's work. And so this is the other use of this word saint. So uh, you receive this definition of being a saint, or this not definition, designation as a saint the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You become a saint according to the New Testament. Um, so as Christians, we are both holy because we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We are a saint. Um, and look at whoever you came with this morning to say, you are a saint. Obviously has more than one meaning in our culture. <laughs> um, so we are, we are a saint in that we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, but we are also to be holy. 
We are to be a saint set apart for God's work. So our verse here says that uh, we, the, the uh, shepherds and teachers are to equip the saints, so prepare God's people for the work of ministry. You feel like you're prepared for the work of God's ministry this morning? You guys are doing God's, God's work. I see you doing it. I would, say, I would answer yes. You might not feel it, but I would say that yes, you are prepared. You are being prepared for the work of ministry. This is not something new to this passage. When Jesus, um, after Jesus' death, his resurrection, he walked on the earth for 40 days. When he went to be with the Father in Acts 1, verse 8, this is what he said to his disciples. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus had spent time teaching his disciples. He spent time modeling righteous living, how to love, how to care, how to speak truth, how to be compassionate. He showed these to his disciples. He said, now I'm going to the Father and you will be my witnesses. Right here where you are in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this was Jesus. Jesus started this. When he left to go back to be with the Father, he said to the disciples, now you are going to, you're prepared, you're ready, go and represent me, be my witnesses. And of course, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, um, acknowledging the same truth. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is making an appeal to the world through you and through me. We are um, his saints, we are his holy ones, we are the followers who are to do the work of ministry. So what kind of work is that? Uh, keep reading in the verse with me in, in verse 12. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So it's, it's kind of narrowed down here for us. This is one of the ways that we do the work of ministry. We build up the body of Christ. Now we've defined the body of Christ um, in, in two ways. One, there's the global body of Christ, everyone who's in God's family, everyone who's put their faith and trust, but then we have local bodies of Christ, and we would be a local body of Christ that has gathered together this morning. So um, I see two main ways that the body of Christ is built up. One, people get saved, and they come into the family of God, and they, uh, they become part of the body of Christ. So, so through new converts, people uh, join the body of Christ, and the body of Christ grows. Um, but the type that this passage is, is really focusing on is Christians growing in maturity. So it's not just that we get saved, that's, that's the first step, and then we are to grow in our maturity, we call it sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. And this passage gives us uh, two marks of maturity. Unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. We see it in verse 13. So uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Unity within the body of Christ is a mark of maturity. We've been, t we've been talking about it the last couple weeks. We talked about unity. We talked about diversity. So even though we're very different, personalities, backgrounds, ideas, 
um, family size, maybe social status, how much money you have in your bank account versus all these things make us different and yet we have unity. And so a sign of maturity is when we put aside our differences and we come together for a common purpose. Also within that is we embrace our differences. We talked last week, each one has a gift. We've been given a gift to, uh, to be used. And so we embrace how people are different so that we come to maturity. So we, we unite together for this common cause. As, as uh, David said, said when he faced Goliath, he said, uh, that he would take on Goliath so that all the earth may know that there was a God in Israel. That's why David took on Goliath. That's why we come together so that we could proclaim to our community that there is a God in heaven and he is worthy to be praised. He is worth knowing. So this is, this is a mark of maturity. When we come together, we are united in our faith, and then we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, when we talk about the knowledge of the Son of God, we're not talking about just knowing facts, you know, being able to quote, uh, to, uh, quote verses, uh, to, to regurgitate information that we've read in the Bible. It, it's not about just knowing facts about God. It's about having a personal, experiential relationship with God. You don't get that through uh, merely studying his word, although it is living and active and it will pierce to our souls. That's part of it. Uh, it's through prayer, it's through conversation, but it's also through getting out and serving him. Uh, and we're, we're working through the Experiencing God uh, Bible study on Wednesday nights. And, uh, and, and a big part of that course is that we really, truly experience God when, as we obey God. And part of that is doing the work of ministry. So you know, you, you, uh, you know, the, you know the difference, right? You, uh, you meet somebody, you're, you're talking with a friend and you're having a conversation and they say to you, do you know so-and-so? And you answer them, well, I, I know them, but I don't really know them. You ever said something like that before? You know who they are, you know a few things about them, maybe where they lived and if they're married or not and what they do, but you don't know them. You haven't had them over for dinner. You haven't been out uh, to eat with them. You haven't played tennis. You don't know them, but you, you know them. You don't know them. God says in, in, in this passage that we are to know God, experience him in our lives. And that's through um, time in the word, through prayer, through obedience, putting our trust in him. So why is this maturity important? Growing up's a part of life. Anybody not embrace that yet? Was the, I don't wanna grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. You ever just think, man, it'd be nice to be a kid again? You know, no more, no more aches and pains, uh, not a, you know, no, no more cares, no more worries. Uh, lots of energy, no responsibility. Let's not forget what also comes with that. Uh, immaturity, you know, not fully de developed, not completely re uh, prepared, not really aware of what's going around. Like who wants to go back to their middle school self? Some of you just can't wait to get to middle school, right? Everyone else is like, oh, that's gone. Um, read, read verse uh, 
14 with me. This is why we need to be mature, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is a great picture in here, isn't it? How many of uh, have been recently or remember taking their, your kids to the beach or maybe you've been there with your grandkids. I'm thinking about like a, a two or a three-year-old uh, coming to the beach and the waves are rolling in and uh, you want to hold their hand, right? Or, or grab onto them and you're lifting them up because you've seen, you've seen a kid and the waves coming in and they're not big enough and they don't know they're not big enough yet, but that wave hits the child and rolls them, Right? And just as they're getting their head back up out of the water, it's sucking them back out and they're back into it again. Think about a, uh, flying a kite. We don't get to fly kites around here too well. We don't really get good windy days here in Blairsville. Uh, but maybe you've flown a kite before and the, the, the wind grabs the kite and, and puts it up there in the, in the air, doesn't it? Does the kite determine where it goes? You know, you don't come out and, and the wind's blowing this way and you think, I'd like my kite to be up there today. You know, it doesn't work. The, the, the kite goes where the wind goes. And when we are not mature, we're like a child at the ocean being thrown back and forth uh, in, in the waves. Or like a kite that has no direction of its own, but just goes wherever the wind takes it. And there's three ways here that we're, it talks about um, that three ways that we could be carried away or that we, by the wind, or that we could be tossed to and throw by the waves. Doctrine, human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So I just want to touch on these uh, for a minute. Uh, doctrine, how could we be tossed uh, to and fro or carried away by every wind of doctrine? We're not talking about good doctrine here. Uh, we're talking about being carried away by a false doctrine that claims to be true. And, uh, and, and I mean, you could, go, uh, you, could go, you could go anywhere. Books, uh, YouTube, Facebook, um, blogs, podcasts. There is, there, if, there is so much out there claiming to give you good insight into God's word. Do you guys use these resources? I do. Can you, can you believe every one of them though? Can you trust every one of them? No, if, we, if you were, you'd be tossed to and fro. Not everything that you read and not everything that you listen to is true. I think we, I think we understand that, but it's, we understand that maybe in a general sense, but it's also true when we, when we open God's word. It's also true uh, when I come to you this morning and I, we open it together and I, I talk to you about it, this is coming from my study, but I sure hope that you don't just say, oh, if Jeff said it, it has to be true. No, if God says it, it has to be true. Uh, and you should be like the Bereans, Acts chapter 17, talking about these Jewish people from Berea. Uh, it says, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is how we need to approach um, our study of God and who he is and, and his word. Yes, additional resources are useful, but we always go back to his word and say, was that true? Was that right? Did he handle that passage correctly? I hope you're doing that even as I speak this morning. 
So we have to be careful of, the, of, of doctrine. We have to be careful of human cunning. And when I think of human cunning, probably over the ages, there's lots of ways um, in which God's people have, have kind of bought into whatever the popular thinking was of that day and been misled. Uh, today, I think one of the big ones is, the, is this idea of moral relativism, right? What's true for you may or may not be true for me. And we can get into a world of trouble um, with that. Let me, just, uh, let me just talk about that uh, for a minute. Um, the other way that it would be phrased would be, uh, someone would say, there is no absolute truth. I should, that you should shake your head at that statement. There is absolute truth. There's God's word. So let me, um, let me give a little illustration to help us understand it. If I were to say football is a fun sport, that would be true. For me. Now somebody else might say to me, football's a, no, football is a boring sport. They didn't watch the games last weekend, but they might say it. And would that be true for them? Now, what if I say the Georgia Bulldogs are the 2021 national champions? That's true. So, so one is based on opinion. The other is based on fact. And so the one is subjective. Football is fun. Football is boring. The other one is objective. Like there was an event in history, two teams played, Georgia won, they were given the trophy. They're the national champions. So the trouble is, not everyone agrees on what is objective and what is subjective. Uh, so we get to this issue of morality, objective or subjective. I got you, I got you worried, right? In other words, is morality something that is either true or not true, or is morality something that you get to determine? And you get to determine something different. Morality is objective, and we get it through God's word. Let me, let me read, uh, Tim Chalice writes a little bit on this subject, and he says this, our society teaches that morality is subjective. What is good or bad for you may differ from what is good or bad for me. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches that there are standards of morality that are given for all people for all time. Amen. I heard an amen at my mother-in-law. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody else. God's truth is for all people for all time. Human cunning would say, you believe whatever you want. Your truth is good for you, and my truth is good for me, and we'll all get along. But that's not what God's word says. So that's, to me, that's a big area of human cunning, excuse me, human cunning in, in our world today. And then there's craftiness in deceitful schemes. And uh, if, you've, if you've been reading through your Bible, when you, when you see these deceitful schemes, you should be thinking about Satan and his uh, deceitful schemes. And in, in Ephesians 6.11, we're told to be aware of these schemes. In fact, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
First Peter, or excuse me, Peter tells us in First Peter chapter five, verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So we, we need to be aware of false doctrine. We need to be aware of human cunning. We need to be aware of craftiness in deceitful schemes. Uh, Satan and the world system that he has created is designed to, to, to get us off track, to, to, to leave us uncertain, to have us question whether or not the Bible is true, whether or not it can be trusted. But as we, as we dig into God's word, as we understand it, we become more mature and we become less likely to be tossed to and fro or blown around by the wind. So what can we do to help us avoid this immaturity, we can help each other out. You wanna help each other out this morning in growing in maturity? Um, Verse 15, this is an alternative. Instead of being tossed to and fro, just listening to whatever comes your way and accepting it or not knowing, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love helps us to grow up, helps us to grow as a body of Christ. And um, this, is a, uh, this is an interesting subject. Um, um, I, speaking of blogs, I, I read a blog a few years ago on, a, on this book called Radical Candor. It's not a Christian book, but I think it's got some good principles in there. And, I, and as I was reading this blog, uh, totally from a secular viewpoint, this is the verse that I thought of. And so I'm trying to kind of apply, uh, apply some of those ideas to, to this. And when I see this idea of speaking the truth in love, we have four options in how we relate to people in terms of truth and love. All right, so you might have a, a tendency to communicate in one of these ways kind of as your normal go-to way to communicate. You might find that you communicate in each of these four ways. It just depends on who you're with. Uh, so number one, we could ignore somebody. Like, just don't speak to them. Uh, they don't receive any, any love from us because we're ignoring them, but they, and they also don't receive any truth from us because we're not communicating with them. And whether we, we verbalize or not, you're just saying, look, man, you're not, worth, you're not worth my time. I really don't care about you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my own thing. You're not, it's not worth it to me. Of course, we don't, we don't think, sometimes we think like that. Let's just be honest with each other, we're people. Um, but we are not helping that person. We've not loved them, we've not spoken any truth to them. All right, so second way, we could love the person but not speak any truth, all right? You, you show love to somebody because you care about them, um, but you, you, you don't tell them the truth. So you're kind, you're gracious, you're encouraging, uh, you show compassion, you're empathetic to their situation. Uh, you are talking to them, but you're not really giving them the truth. So it's better, but still not great. Third thing you could do is you could speak the truth, but not show any love. Okay, you're, you're, you're telling them the truth because you care about them, uh, but uh, uh, you're, you're willing to have hard conversations. You're the kind of person that someone would say, man, they just tell it like it is. 
again, it's better than ignoring them, but it's still not the best because you have not loved the person. You've not shown compassion and empathy. Maybe you would be described as, man, he, 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 was, he said what was true, but he just, it was like I got hit by a sledgehammer. You might be considered harsh and uncaring even though you told the truth because you actually care about the person. And so the fourth way, uh, speak the truth in love. Okay, this is the winner, right? Objective truth. Bible says speak the truth in love. Uh, you, you speak the truth in love, obviously you care about the person, you're telling them the things that are true because you want them to know the truth and not believe a lie, but you are doing it in love. You're having direct conversations with compassion, with empathy, with graciousness, with care and concern. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt said this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to speak the truth and in love. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I, when, I, when I break it down this way, I think to myself, man, I fall short in a lot of relationships in this regard. I mean, I can, I can think of people I ignore, people I love but don't speak the truth, people that I speak the truth but could be more loving, and, and then people that, I, I mean, I have, I can fit people into every one of these categories, and if we're just honest with each other for a minute, every interaction we have, every relationship we have should be in the fourth category, speaking the truth in love. That's how Jesus dealt with us, that's how we should deal with each other. Of course, verse 15 says, also gives us the result. When we speak the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ. That's what we're looking for, right? We don't want to be immature children tossed to and fro. We want to grow together. So we need each other to love each other. And while as we love to speak the truth to each other. And verse 16, kind of a concluding uh, statement, uh, well, and like I said, it's all one sentence, but from whom the whole body, talking about Jesus, is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every one of us is needed. We talked about this the last, uh, our, our last couple times together. We are all needed when we are all equipped, when we're all prepared, when we're all ready to do the work of ministry, then we grow up together. We grow stronger together as a group and it better prepares us then also to minister to those who don't know Jesus. And that's why we're talking about everyone equipped, everyone engaged. And so I guess my question for all of us this morning is, is how in your life are you actively seeking to be equipped? Like, what are you doing to prepare yourself for the work of ministry that God has for you? You're here, so that's one thing. If you think, oh, I don't do anything. Well, you're here, that's one thing, that's great. Praying to God on a regular basis, uh, reading his word, getting together in groups and discussing what you've read, discussing what you have um, experience. There are lots of ways that we grow together, building each other up, coming to maturity so that we are equipped and prepared to do the things that God has for us.
Why don't you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I'm just thankful for each one that's here this morning, for those who have been watching online with us this morning. I look around and I, and I feel like uh, I could say that I know this group uh, in front of me, but I also feel like I, like I know this group that's in front of me. And they're doing the work of ministry, and I'm just thankful for each one of them. And yet, as we, as we read this morning, we, we see areas where we could be uh, better equipped, where we could be more mature, we could be more like Jesus as we, as we walk through life, as we go through this coming week. And so, uh, God, my prayer this morning is that each one of us would have a desire to be equipped for the things that you have for us to do, that we would be ready uh, to share the gospel when we have opportunity, that we would be ready uh, to speak the truth when you present an opportunity to us, that we would be ready to love each and every person that you bring into our path. God, I pray and ask that you would give us the desire for those things this morning, uh, and then, Lord, put the initiative in our hearts to then uh, get ourselves equipped where we're not equipped. I'm, I'm thankful for these uh, young people that came on Friday night and stayed over till Saturday morning to get themselves equipped, to get themselves prepared for the work of ministry that you have for them. Lord, I pray that they would be uh, the example for each one of us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us the opportunity when we've put our faith and trust in you to serve you. Lord, show us the way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.